are going this morning to just do an introduction to the book of Ezekiel. Lawrence is away. He tapped me on the shoulder. Um, so being my personal study has been Ezekiel, I decided that I was going to do an introduction. My goal this morning, and I hopefully I, I will accomplish it, is to excite you folks about the book of Ezekiel. We're not going to dig in too much at all into the passage verse by verse, somewhere down the line, maybe, not right now, but uh, we're just going to do kind of an introduction, an overview of Ezekiel, and uh, hopefully, like I said, get you folks excited about it and cause you to want to dig into it yourself. But before we do that, I really need the Lord's help, so let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, Lord, you are such a gracious and merciful God. And even, even with the judgments you bring, there's reason, there's purpose. There's, for your people, it's to bring them back to you that you might bless them and, and bring them into line, that they might live a peaceful life and, and serve and honor you in their lives. For the, for the wicked, it's just punishment. If, if you didn't, you'd be lying, you'd be untruthful. Father, I ask your help this morning as I seek to excite your people about the book of Ezekiel, Lord, I pray you would give me soundness of mind. Help my tongue, Father, to speak the words that need to be spoken, Father. Give me a, a calm and a peaceful mood about this, Lord, that I might honor you with this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I said, I, I've been studying Ezekiel for a while now, um, and in depth, I've only gotten uh, through chapter 13, so I have a long way to go. And I, I bl blame uh, Joe for uh, my even starting this this morning because he, he would see me on Wednesdays. I'd come early and I'd be digging into Ezekiel, and he said, you're going to teach that sometime? And I said, no. Well, he, I guess he was a bit prophetic about it because at least I'm giving you an introduction. Uh, I didn't want to dig too much into it because then I'd only have to do it again once, once we really got uh, studying it. So D Daniel Block, I started to uh, look at some of his stuff. He is, uh, he's really dug deeply into Ezekiel. Um, he's a little bit dry, but um, he's got probably some of the best commentary I've read yet outside of I like Calvin, and, and the NIV is a, is a very good commentary on it. On it. Um, even some of the secular uh, commentators on Ezekiel um, I find very beneficial because you weigh all sides. There is a lot of controversy with timing and things like that. I'm not even going to touch that. I'm just going to try to uh, hit this on a general surface. We maybe can dig into that later on um, if and when I ever do teach the book of Ezekiel. But Daniel Block had six reasons why to read the book of Ezekiel. Uh, I'm going to go through them. I'm totally paraphrasing them. 
Um, I took the parts I liked and, and reworded some of it and such, but I got to give him credit. So, first of all, it's the pure... Yes, the L-O-C-K block. First of all, it's right. Oh, blocks. Okay, building blocks. All right, <laughs> I think it's block. All right, first of all, it's the pure entertainment value. <gasps> the Bible's entertaining. Yes, it is. Ezekiel is probably one of the most fascinating books I've read yet. Although Joel I really found fascinating as well. Um, Ezekiel goes through these sign acts and this street theater and this imagery that it's just, it's really, it's something to read. It's exciting every time you move on to a next chapter. It's something that you maybe wouldn't have expected. Uh, these uh, sign acts are, by the way, they're, they're performed out by Ezekiel at God's command to make a point. He, he actually does these rather unusual, maybe even bizarre things to make a point uh, and to communicate what God wants him to communicate to Judah. Um, let me ask a question. Who knows what the ultimate sign act is in Scripture? The ultimate sign act that we see in Scripture. No, although that's pretty... Anyone else? The greatest sign act that we see in Scripture. I would argue it's Christ being crucified on the cross. That spoke volumes. That's what, you can't even line this up with what Ezekiel's doing, but Ezekiel's sign acts are speaking volumes to deaf people. And I'll explain the deaf in a little while. These sign acts are, like I said, bizarre and unusual, but there's a purpose, there's a reason, and there's some deep meaning to them. For instance, imagery-wise, who would have thought we would have seen something like this in Scripture, where you have uh, a creature that Ezekiel sees in one of his visions, and I'll read a little bit in a minute, that has an ox head, has a man head, has a lion head, has an eagle head. Yet, this is a creature that is seen, a living creature that is seen in Ezekiel. In fact, let, let me read just a, a bit of that. Um, it's, it's fascinating when you dig into it also. Oh, by the way, uh, one of the uh, ways this is uh, titled is uh, Tetramorph, and it's four different elements, okay? being the four different uh, faces. There's a lot to that. Um, but let me, let me read a bit here. By the, by the way, I, I use journaling. I highly recommend it, but you can't read it afterwards. That's the problem. Uh, I might have to pull out my other Bible. Okay. So, as I looked, behold... A stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness, and around it was fire and flashing, uh, and uh, came forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as if it were gleaming metal, 
and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And thus was the appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and their soles of their feet were like soles of calf's feet. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. And it goes on and on. This is a fascinating creature. It's a creature that God gave imagery to uh, Ezekiel as part of this prophecy, as part of the oracle that he was to present to directly to those who are in ex- exile and indirectly to those in Jerusalem. This, there's a lot, when we dig into this, when we do get into a study, there's a lot about this. These, this imagery is, is also very Chaldean, and we'll talk about that when, when the time comes. So that's one of the imageries. That's one of the first ones that we see. Then the wheels, the wheels of Ezekiel. These turning wheels with eyes. You look at, these are meant to be eyes. All around these wheels, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of meaning to that. I'll just give you a brief idea of what it is. Those eyes see everything in every direction. God sees everything in every direction. These wheels, they don't go haphazardly. We learn in Ezekiel, they are directed. They don't go backwards either. They go forwards, or they go to the side, or they go to the side wherever God directs them to go. Amazing imagery. Then we have the chariot, the throne. This symbolism we've seen time and time again in in the Old Testament. It's just amazing the way Ezekiel spells it out. It really is. Then we have Ezekiel laying on his side for a long period of time with a brick and a, a wall built around it. What in the world does that mean? Well, the people would have known what that meant. But a strange act. Can you imagine going down to Port Jeff, witnessing to the people down there and putting a brick down and laying down on your side? They would think you were insane. God had reason for this, but it's fascinating, is it not? I think it is. Then when he shaved his head and made bunches of hairs, and some of them got caught in his, his uh, garment, what does that all mean? All has meaning. All has a reason for being there. All has purpose. Then probably my favorite portion in Ezekiel, the temple. The water streaming out of the temple growing and growing and growing and growing until you had to swim in it. These imageries are, to me, this caught me. In fact, this one imagery of the temple caught me to get me to want to read Ezekiel. This whole idea of, uh, of these iconic 
examples that God uses when he speaks through Ezekiel. These living creatures, these uh, acts of strange laying down next to bricks and shaving of one's head, etc., etc. It just really amazes me. Okay, the cultural value is the second thing that Bloch brings out. Uh, this uh, cultural aspect, Ezekiel spending his entire ministry in exile. Think about that. He's, he's somewhere around 30 when he gets pulled into exile. That's when he actually starts his priesthood. So he's not only a prophet, but he's also a priest. And his whole ministry is spent in exile. His time in Babylon uh, brings on like Babylonian color into his books, into his writing, rather. Uh, so to understand Ezekiel, we need to understand a bit about the Babylonian culture as well. And uh, as you start digging into Ezekiel and looking into some of that, I'm telling you, it's fascinating. It really is. Then, then of course, we have the fact that he gets dragged from Judah all the way over into the Chaldean territory. And he's, like I said, he spends his whole time over there. His whole ministry, anyway, over there. The historic value. This book gives you a window into the life of Judah and Jerusalem in its darkest days. I, I say that because as, as you dig into Ezekiel, you see the wickedness of these people. Uh, it gets spelled out in numerous ways in numerous places. But it also made me think, as I saw some of the examples that Ezekiel has shown, we fall into the same traps. I'll, I'll give you an example. I might even have it in these notes somewhere. There's one point where Ezekiel is brought in a vision to the temple. And he's told to uh, look at these elders, these, uh, I might have even been priests, that are in this hidden room in the temple. And they have these, this imagery drawn and carved into the walls, this idolatry carved into the walls, and they're worshiping it. Well, how does... How does that play into us? You know, how do we take that and make that meaningful to us? Yes, it shows the wickedness of uh, the uh, Judeans in Jerusalem. Well, one of the uh, commentators suggested that that hidden place, right? That hidden place in the temple. We're the temple of God, right? Our minds, what do we hide in our minds? Do we have idols in our minds that we're worshiping that no one else sees? Are our temples clean? Are we innocent? That, that really made me think. Okay, anyway, I'm off on a tangent. So, you know, this whole idea of the wickedness of, of uh, Judah and it, it being brought out 
you know, and the, and the vision that Judah sees in Jerusalem numerous times uh, up until the time that uh, finally that Jerusalem is, is destroyed and, and sacked and, and the temple is destroyed and God follows through with his judgment. Now, something I want to say about God's judgment and it leads into some of the other uh, things that are really spelled out in Ezekiel. To understand who God is, to understand the character of God, to have that, uh, even to have that intimate relationship with God, we have to understand judgment and vice versa. We have to understand God to understand his judgment. It's very important that, that we get a good understanding of who God is and what judgment is and vice versa. We get that as we look into Ezekiel. Daniel Block also says the theological value. Ezekiel looks into this exilic life in Babylon and life back in Jer Jerusalem and the life of the nations as well through God's eyes. Ezekiel is a mouthpiece for God. And as these things are spelled out in Ezekiel, we see through God's eyes how he views Jerusalem, how he views their sin, how he views their wickedness, how he uses the nations, but the nations are condemned as well. And how this all plays in together. And even Ezekiel is learning as this goes on and as he experiences these many things. So this is very relevant even in our own day. And I used an example a minute ago. The next thing is its pastoral value. In essence, Ezekiel was a pastor to these people, these exiles. The interesting thing is, that he was told right from the get-go that they would not listen to him. So Ezekiel's uh, congregants were hard, deaf, and rebellious. Ezekiel had no friends among them, no converts, no success that was evident. But he was faithful and he obeyed. Despite all the difficulties that he faced, despite everything that he went through, the rebuking and the chastisement and the being made fun of and laughed at and, and just on and on and on, he was faithful and obeyed and served God. So to you pastors, be strong, be bold, speak the truth. When God speaks to you, you share it, no matter what the congregation does, no matter how they react, no matter if you see success or not. Success is God's, not necessarily ours. We see this in Ezekiel, very, very uh, uh, pointedly in Ezekiel. The final value is the vision of the future. It's a hope for God's people pointing us to the New Testament, the new economy. This, and, and that's why I say that one, that one portion in Ezekiel is my favorite. 
where, where we see this stream flowing and growing and growing. That's the church. But that's the hope. God fulfills His promises. He always fulfills His promises. God is good to His people. He's always good to His people. And He's only good to His people. Do you believe that? We were talking this morning about certain things and politics and and such that have my ire up. And it's so easy to say you have faith and believe until the rubber hits the road. Ezekiel experienced the rubber hitting the road. It's the people that fail, not God. The people that fall short, not God. God is always faithful, always truthful. If God hadn't judged Israel in the way he judged Israel, he would have gone back on his word. That's an important point when it comes to judgment, when it comes to correction. Our God does not change. Our God cannot change. Our God's character will not allow wickedness. And our God is a loving God who is a covenant-keeping God, too. He has called for himself a people, and he will do what it takes to bring those people to him. And he uses his church. They were hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn Judeans. Are we hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn people? Sometimes. God tells Ezekiel that they wouldn't listen right from the start. Right from the beginning, he says that these people are not going to listen. Let me read something in chapter 2 regarding that. It was, it's like you know, God's calling Ezekiel to this, this ministry... But he says this, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. He had already prostrated uh, uh, Ezekiel. Put him flat on his face. He Stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. I heard him speak to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me. To this very day, the descendants also are impotent and stubborn. I send you to them, and they shall... I send you to them... And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whenever they hear or refuse to hear, for they are rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. 
and you shall speak my word to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, O son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that, that rebellion of the house. Open your mouth and eat what I give to you. And he gave him a scroll. This rebellious people would not hear. They would not listen. But what does God tell Ezekiel? Go and do this. Speak to them whether they listen or not. We need to do the same thing. You see, Ezekiel's audience, they banked on the promises of God. They'd been raised and steeped in the scriptures of the promises of God. Problem is, they had strayed. They believed they were eternally secure because they were God's people. They were given title to land, the land of Israel. They were God's people. They thought they could never ultimately be defeated or lose this land because they were God's people. The Lord entered into a covenant with them which they believed God was obligated to keep with them. They believed that Jerusalem would never fall because God had established Jerusalem as his dwelling place forever, the temple being the symbol of his presence. We'll get all into this. This just gets very deep in Ezekiel. But they had forgotten they would be an example, a light to the world. Sound familiar? They had forgotten that they were to be an example, a light to the world. They believed themselves God's people, yet they were living a pagan lifestyle, and this brought upon them the wrath of God. Sound familiar? <clears throat> we're going to get into now a little bit of the literary uh, form and structure of the book of Ezekiel. Am I exciting you, I hope, a little bit, maybe? Ezekiel is divided into three distinct sections. Chapters 1 through 24 proclaim the coming judgment on Judah and Jerusalem and its causes. Chapters 25 through 32 announce judgment on the foreign nations. And then chapters 33 through 48 declare the blessings on the future, uh, uh, of future restoration and the Messianic kingdom. This is very much the same as the outline that we saw in Joel as well. The prophecy is uh, further broken down as follows. Chapter 1 through 3, Ezekiel's vision of the glory of God. Remember I said before we have to understand the glory of God and who God is, his character, and all of that to understand the judgment that God brings and vice versa. Ezekiel, right from the get-go, is shown this glory of God in, in vision. 
uh, chapter 4 through 7, uh, the announcement of judgment on Israel. Chapter 8 through 11, God shows how the wickedness of Israel had caused His glory to depart from their midst. The glory of God leaves the temple. Well, we, we know just from that little bit that I talked about before, they had desecrated the temple. They had polluted the temple. God couldn't stay. God made clear His judgments as objections arose. We see, as we read through Ezekiel, that there's objections to God's judgments. Imagine that. His creation arguing with God about His judgments. Well, it isn't quite as cut and dry as that, but that's what's happening. Getting back to the 8 through 11, by the way, where, where God's uh, glory departs, from their midst and departing from the temple. Think about our own lives. Are our temples a place where God wants to dwell? Just food for thought. The prophecy, as I said, is broken down further. Chapter 20 through 24, Ezekiel summarizes the nature and the impeding judgment of God and the reasons for it. Everything's spelled out. God condemns the nations around Judah for rejoicing in Judah's destruction, yet God uses the nations to perform this, to bring this about. 23 is, as I said before, Jerusalem falls. Uh, 34 through 37, the hope for Israel. But not only the hope for Israel, 38 through 39, the hope for the nations and the hope for all creation. All of this is spelled out in Ezekiel. Highlights from the book of Ezekiel. Chapters 1 through 3, Ezekiel is commissioned. It goes through how he is commissioned. He, he's a priest because he's born into a priestly uh, family, but he's commissioned by God to also be a prophet. So he's a priest and a prophet. Ezekiel's Synax, we talked about that, and, and the bad news that none would listen to. And this recalls Deuteronomy 30. I'll give you homework. You can look into that. Chapter 8 through 11, the temple vision and and the vision of, the, uh, the, of Israel's idolatry. This really troubled me when I, when I read it, and then I, I shared with you what one of the commentators had said. This really troubled me when I, I saw just how wicked they had become and what they were doing in the temple of God. But it really made me think about my own life as well. Chapters 12 through 24 uh, there's a parable and, uh, that's used, and there's allegories that are used. And we see Ezekiel acting as if, in a sense, he was the lawyer. You'll have to read it to find out. Ezekiel 25 through 32, uh, Philistia, Ammon, Moab, Edom, Egypt, Tyre, who viewed themselves as gods, are taken down by Babylon. This is in... Ezekiel as well. 
Chapter 33, Jerusalem Falls. Chapter 34 through 37, a new David, a new Israel with a new heart and the valley of dry bones. This recalls Genesis 2 in a sense, breathing life into dirt. This is an amazing story. You would, you would read it separate from, say, Scripture and think, wow, this is like Arabian night type of stuff, you know? But it's God speaking to his people. And it has a profound meaning. God defeats evil among the nations. And there's a lot of symbolism and imagery used in these chapters as well. 40 through 48, uh, the vision of a new temple and a new Garden of Eden. This has been misinterpreted many times. Um, we'll get into this if and, if and when I ever teach this class. Uh, but uh, this whole idea of the new temple is a fascinating, uh, very, very important concept that we as Christians need to understand. Theological values in the book of Ezekiel. There's five key theological values. The nature of God. We kind of talked about that already. His character, who he is. This comes out very strongly, very clearly as you dig into Ezekiel. The purpose and nature of God's judgment becomes very clear, I, I believe. Individual responsibility. How does this spell out with us? How does this spell out with Israel? How does it spell out with Ezekiel? How does it spell out with the nations? The ethical, religious, and moral history of God's people. I really thought God's people were a little better than they were, but I thought I was a little better than I was too. The nature of the restoration of God's people, there's always hope. There's always a remnant. The dating of Ezekiel, just real quick on this one. I'm not going to be able to do some of this. Um, chronologically, uh, it's spelled out in, in uh, chapter 1-3. Uh, it puts his calling to service to God at the fifth year of Jehoiakim, uh, his exile. Ezekiel's ministry begins in 593 B.C. His oracles begin... Uh, um, they continue through to 571 B.C. Ezekiel uh, is in Israel's uh, exilic period when Judah is brought into exile by Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C. By the way, these dates are debated. Um, they go a little bit here or go a little bit there. But, and then, of course, we saw this again uh, before. The... The interesting thing is, is um, the Babylonians have now like taken control over all, you can see the green area. And before it was the Assyrians. And later on, it, they'll get taken over as well. But uh, right now, this is, the, this is the area that we're talking about in Ezekiel. Um, you can see Judah over here in Jerusalem and then Damascus all the way up and through, and right here in Babylon is where uh, Ezekiel is positioned. Uh, in order to subdue uh, 
the rebellion that was going on, the, uh, which was the empire of the Assyrians uh, and the Babylonians after them, uh, there was a policy that both Assyria and Babylon practiced. They would disseminate the people. They would take the nobles and the uh, artisans and those who uh, had some smarts about them or had money, and they would just, just totally uh, spread them out, divide and conquer. And the ones that were left in uh, Jerusalem and in Judea uh, were primarily those who were more poor, those less likely to rebel. Uh, so th this, was a, this was a practice then. Kind of rushing through some of this. Um, this is a basic timeline. Again, I'm not sure that the dates are totally correct. Uh, I tried to find something I wanted to show uh, because Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, um, they're, they're all within a, a similar time period and prophesying uh, the same, very similar messages. Uh, Jeremiah uh, is back in Jerusalem, and of course we know where Ezekiel is, and Daniel's uh, there as well. So this kind of gives a, a bit of a timeline on uh, where all of this plays out. And then we're just going to end with one thing. I was going to go through more of the history uh, behind uh, the exile, but I'm not as qualified as I'd like to be. So we're going to end it with one thing. We're going to end it with the meaning of Ezekiel's name. God strengthens. I, f I find this very important because here Ezekiel is put into this position, this place where he's going to abide, and he's given a task that seems impossible. He's to communicate to a people that are not going to listen, that are rebellious and hard-hearted. The only way he's going to accomplish his task through all that he goes through, is through God's strength. He was strong, he was strengthened by God. And that's my introduction to Ezekiel. It's a long book. It's 48 chapters. It gets very deep. You have to want to dig into it. Do it. I, tr I, I trust you've hopefully had your whistle wet a little bit. And uh, I, I just encourage you to do it. And journal. I, I strongly urge you to journal. It, it uh, gives you opportunity to write down your thoughts, not just what does it mean? What does it mean to you? What did it teach you? What did it show you? I do this each morning, or I try to be faithful with it each morning. And it's been a blessing to me. Let's close in prayer. Uh, okay. Steve? Yeah. Good. When Ezekiel says, um, no one, I mean, when God tells Ezekiel, no one's going to listen. But, you know, we know that Daniel was there and his three friends, for sure. There's always a remnant. Right. 
So when I'm in the marketplace and I'm at work and I'm talking to someone and they say, you know, nobody listens, nobody understands, nobody agrees with you. No one thinks like you. There's no one. But I know when I come here, basically everyone does agree. And they are my brothers and sisters. And they are, you know, they, so it's almost like, um, and yet and still the word of God is true. You cannot lie. So he's making a point that most people won't listen. Most people. Do you think that there was, while Ezekiel was laying in front of the brick for all that time, someone came over and brought him a glass of water? You know, like, like did someone wink at him, like, I'm with you, brother? Or? It doesn't tell you this. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't tell you. The, the, the key is that judgment is being brought upon uh, Jerusalem and upon Israel, Judah. Israel had already been disseminated. The uh, southern kingdom had already been pretty much wiped out. The judgment is being brought upon them to point out the sins and the wickedness that, that they uh, were committing. Now, as we know, there's always an element, and I believe that had something to do with the hair caught in the hem of his garment. Uh, there's always an element that do hear and do listen. Perhaps they need to be chastised first, and that happens with us as well. God brings uh, judgment on the believer as well to open their eyes and ears when they were previously perhaps deaf or going astray. So do I believe that they, they were those who heard? Yes, I do. Um, I, I think the idea of the nobody will listen is the fact of the immensity of, of the hearts of the people being away from God, being drawn away from God, and being um, performing such wicked acts. Um, and we look all around us today, right? You made a good point. You know, people, uh, they tell you, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to know about it. But we're called to speak, right? We go to Port Jeff. Sometimes we get a good conversation going, but the majority of the time it's, it's heckling and such like that, or on the job it could be heckling. But you never know that person who might be standing on the side, maybe not willing to converse or open a conversation, who's listening and God's working on that heart. Because we know the Word of God does not come back void. It, it performs whatever, whatever God wants that Word to do, it's going to do, whether it be to judge or to bless. Um, so it's a valid point. That answer it? Thank you. you bet. <laughs> Blessed Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Father, that uh, this was profitable to your people. Father, that I didn't misrepresent anything. Father, that your name would be glorified, Lord, that most of all, that you would be glorified, Father, and that we would take this and mull over this and dig into it and use it to strengthen our bodies, Father, strengthen our hearts, that we might love you more, honor you more, serve you more, that we might be that salt in life, that we would, we would be bold. Father, teach us the things you want to teach us. And let us not become spiritually fat, but then go out and share it. Father, let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for the privilege we have that we have been able to freely read your word, freely study, freely come before you in prayer, freely be able to worship, Father. 
May we not take that for granted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.